Grace to us means grace through us. If we have met with the person of Jesus, that should affect the way that we live and move. It should affect the way that we treat other people. It should shape the way that we see our neighbor. It should cause us to evaluate the way that we look at our resources. The grace of God to us means grace through us. I want you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want you to read with me verses 1 through 12 of that passage. We're going to spend a little bit of time with Paul today before we jump back into Mark as a congregation next week. Just evaluating who we are and why we are that and what we should do because of that. 2 Corinthians 8, picking up with me in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability uh, of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. I'm not saying this as a command, rather by means of the diligence of others. I'm testing the genuineness of your love, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter, I'm giving advice because it is profitable for you. Who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it. Now, also finish the task. So that just as you, there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has. Not according to what he, has, what he does not have. It is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their needs, so their abundance may in turn meet your need in order that there may be equality. As it is written, the person who had much did not have too much, and the person who had little did not have too little. As we look at this passage, we see Paul talking about grace. If I'm being completely transparent with you, I, I want you to know that naming anything is hard. Naming a, a child is difficult. We, we have four children at our house. I can remember the, the weight of figuring out names for these children. I had all of these ideas as a single man as to what I would name my children. Nairn of those landed. I'm thankful for it because my kids have really cool names. Uh, naming pets is difficult. We've had two dogs in, uh, in the time that we have been a family, much to my chagrin. Dog number one was named Artie. He was named after one of our family members who happened to be me, whose middle name is Arthur. Uh, dog number two is named Gust after St. Augustine. 
Naming living, breathing things, whether it be people or puppies or cats that do that to yourself. Naming a living, breathing church is hard. You begin to look around at the names of churches and they're so unique. They're unique and they're common and they're uniquely common. If you were in a certain town, you've got First Baptist, and First Baptist is basically the, in, the, in the center of the community. There are also churches who've chosen to name themselves after verbs, rejuvenate, excavate, expedite. We at our church leaned into to grace, Bible. What does it mean for us to name our church that? That we would be a gracious people who have committed ourselves to the Bible. That's kind of how it works. It's so weird though when you read about grace on anyone's social media profile. So many people who claim to be uh, solid proponents of grace don't seem to be gracious in their interaction with others. Grace to us means grace through us. Grace to us means that we have experienced who God is because unique things in us. God's grace, and just if you're taking notes, these are things we'll see uh, swimming through the passages that we work through today. God's grace saves. God's grace shares. and, And God's grace sends us. Grace is not only what God does in and for Christians. It's what he does through them. And you see that in our particular passage for today. Paul looks to the church at Corinth and he sees that they are not extending grace in the way that God would have them to extend grace. He lifts up their really good qualities. You'll see that in verse 7. But he uses those to say, these are great qualities, but what about expressing this with your stuff? What about caring for the other churches in the world? What about committing to what God has called you to do? Paul saw grace in the church at Macedonia. He's called all these churches to give to the church at Jerusalem. And he's encouraged them. He's pushed them toward that. And the church in Macedonia looks at this church in Jerusalem, this very Jewish church, and he says to them he, about Macedonia, when you look at them, you see that they were in a really bad spot. And their bad spot was horrendous. He uses words like tribulation, which is never used about anything good. No one's ever said, let's name this place Tribulate Church. He says, this church has gone through much affliction, much struggle, much suffering. But when you look at them, you see the grace of God extended in the way that they care for this church in Jerusalem. Paul saw that grace in Macedonia and he says to Corinth, I want to see that in you. Don't you think he wants to see that in us? An extension of grace. So if we're asking questions about ourselves in particular this morning, the public gathering that is Grace Bible, don't you think he wants to see that in us as a body of believers? And for those of us who are evaluating and considering what it means to live our faith personally, when we ask, how is our life? How is my life and your life? How is that displaying the continual grace of God? The Scripture tells us it's by grace that we're saved not of yourselves, it's a gift of God so that 
It's a gift of God, not from work so that no one can boast. That's a very popular verse. If you have ever been trained in any type of evangelism, you may have memorized that verse. Sharing your faith. God's grace. He saves you through grace. But when you look into the book of Ephesians, you see the magnitude of how that grace works. The the depth of its function. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Just listen. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love that he has had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. Sometimes when we begin to think about the grace of God, we act as if God has met us in our weakness. And that is true, but God does more than simply meet us in our weakness. God doesn't just meet you when you were almost to the point of death. He meets you in your death. He doesn't take hold of sick people and make them well. He takes hold of dead people and he makes them alive. I was at a... When I first got here, I I recently finished doing a camp with the church. We'd gone to whitewater rafting. And on our whitewater rafting trip, it's always unique when you spend any amount of your life with teenagers because they will inevitably say things that are bothersome. They were getting us prepared for their whitewater rafting trip. They put me in a boat full of cheerleaders because I guess that's who who they associated me with. Just all types of positivity. And while we're getting together in in the boat, they're going through the rules. We're at the Okoe. Now, Okoe is Native American speak for rougher water. There's also the Nanahala, which means lazy stream. I don't think that's pure translation, but I'll just go with it. And while we're getting on the Akoe, they hand me a helmet. It's real when they hand you a helmet. They hand me a vest. They hand me an oar. And they begin to explain what is to happen if someone is to fall out of the boat. And the rules are pretty simple. If someone falls out of the boat, you lean over the side, you grab them by the vest, and you pull them back in the boat. One of these little cheerleaders looks at me and she said, Hey, no offense. I want to be absolutely clear with you if you're figuring out the English vernacular. If you lead with no offense, you're inevitably about to offend whomever you're talking to. She said, no offense, but how much do you weigh? I said, enough to sink you. We get in this bus that smelled like the inside of a foot. We're driving down the mountain. They introduce us to our raft guides. Raft guides are unique people. They've decided that they are going to forgo living in homes and they've chosen a lean-to for the summer. They eat peanut butter out of the palms of their hands and live for a choco tan. My raft guide was named Moses because he could part the water. They get us out of this bus. They throw us in this lot. Moses said to me, Hey! I said, Hey, Moses! He said, there's a rock in the water. I'm going to hit the rock, and I'm going to launch all of your people out of the boat, but I want you to fall back so you can pull them back in. That's exactly what we did. We go down, which is not very uh, encouraging that these children can be rowing as hard as they can in one direction, and yet Moses can cause us to hit a rock and send everyone over the edge. As we're moving down the water, there's a point where he taps me on the shoulder and says, Hey! I said, Hey! And I fell back in the boat. He hits the rock and all of these cheerleaders go flying out of the boat, cheering together symmetrically in unison. Help me, help me, you've got to help me. 
I then go into rescue mode, pulling them over. I reach over to cheerleader number one, grab her by the vest. Reach to cheerleader number two, grab her by the vest, pull her back in the boat. Reach to cheerleader number three, no offense. I reach to cheerleader number four. Now, most of the time, whenever we're considering what it means to, to deal with anything like that, that's how we think of our faith, that we're floating down the river, calling for someone to help us, help us. You've got to help us. That's not the language Scripture uses. It uses much darker language. We have sunk to the bottom. There is no life inside of us. And the God of the Bible has plunged in after us. Taking hold and breathing life where there was none. That's what it means for us to be saved by grace. That's the gift of God for us. So Paul says to the church at Corinth about grace. I want you to know the grace of God. I want you to know what the grace of God looks like. A.W. Pink says this, Grace can neither be bought, earned, or won by the creature. That's me, that's you. If it could be, it would cease to be grace. So the grace that we have as believing people in Jesus is a grace that has a heartbeat. In the incarnation, we see in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Grace right now is at the Father's right hand claiming us right now, interceding for us. Romans chapter 8 verse 34, which means that all of the sins that exist in you, everything in you that is saying that you should be wrapped up in shame, wrapped up in a lack of belonging, all of that, Jesus is claiming that one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine. Interceding on your behalf, telling sin and death they have no hold and no place in the life of a believing person. So Paul looks at the church at Corinth and he says, when I look at the church of Macedonia, they've experienced the great grace of God and the great grace of God that they've experienced, it's really affecting the way that they act. It's affecting the way that they give. It's affecting the way that they interact. Verse 2, again, during a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They had the joy of the Lord. Far too often, many of us look like the joy of a turnip. The Corinthian church had made this financial commitment to the persecuted church at Jerusalem, just like the church at Macedonia. And Paul uses the actions of this poor Macedonian church to point out what real giving, real grace looks like. He uses the church at Macedonia to come alongside of those gracious things that I pointed out a few moments ago. He used the church at Macedonia to say to Corinth, this is what incarnational living looks like for someone who believes and trusts that God is good and sufficient. He used the Macedonian church to show what intercessional giving looks like. Acting on behalf of those who are hurting and in need. So for us as people who claim to follow Jesus in the year of our Lord 2022, which is super hard to say, every follower of Jesus should desire for non-Christians to know Jesus. We should just have that hope. We should have that desire. We should have that in mind. And every believing person should have a desire to to see struggling Christians remember the grace of God shown to us in Jesus. 
Because you and I will come across people in our regular, everyday walks of life who have something in them that resembles a walk with Jesus and we should help them to remember that that's not something that just brought them from from sickness to betterness, but from death to life. The grace of God active in His people. Paul says in verse 3, I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. They said to Paul and to Titus, we want to do this. Show us how to do this. Direct for us how this can be done. Funnel this for us. Not just as we hoped. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then then to us by God's will. So he urged Titus that just as he had begun, as he should, also complete among you this act of grace. So when Paul looks at the church at Corinth, he said, when we look at you in light of Macedonia, you made the same promise. They are continually living that out. And for whatever reason, you've not done that yet. Paul tells us in the next chapter that, or, that he uh, has put Titus in charge of taking care of this church at Jerusalem. And the church of Corinth had made this massive promise. But Titus keeps checking his Venmo and there's nothing there from Corinth. It was on display. We confess Jesus when we give of ourselves. We confess Jesus when we give of our time, when we give of our talent, when we give of our treasures. We confess Jesus when we realize that everything that has been given to us is a resource from God. We confess Jesus when we give and we deny Jesus when we hold. We're saying that he doesn't matter as much. Now as you excel in everything, he said in verse 7, this is where it gets really bottom level for the church at Corinth because they're pretty proud people at the end of the year they would look at their devotion and they have done devotion seven days of the week every week of the year they are a people who have completed they have been they have had perfect attendance they've done the stuff Now, you've excelled in everything, Paul says. Here's your pat on the back in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all diligence, and even in your love for us. You've excelled in that. Here you go. Excel in this act of grace. Grace to us is grace through us. God has given, so give. Not just of your stuff, because God doesn't need your stuff. Your stuff just says a lot about you and says a lot about me. I'm not saying this is a command, Paul says. Rather, by means of diligence of others, I'm testing the genuineness of your love. Paul says to this church, I'm not just telling you what to do because I got the right to tell you what to do. I'm actually saying to you, this is an act of love. You're giving. What you do as you evaluate your commitment is an act of love. D.L. Moody said this. He was a popular pastor. He said, grace is not a little prayer that you chant before receiving a meal. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Yay, God. It's a way to live. D.L. Moody didn't say that. I just threw that in. 
The law tells me how crooked I am. The grace of God comes along and it straightens me out. Verse 9. Paul comes back to this church at Corinth and says, Don't forget, I know that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. That's a verse we've memorized. It's a verse that we know. I'm not sure if it's at the level of a tattoo verse yet. But it's a verse that we resonate with. And Paul uses that verse that we are so familiar with in light of our Lord Jesus to teach them about what it means to invest. This is what giving looks like. Less of you, more of Him. John the Baptist said something sort of like that. In this manner, I'm giving advice because it's profitable for you. Who began less than last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it. He draws them back to that. We quote that verse. We requote that verse. It's, and it is the simplest, cleanest explanation that Paul uses to explain gracious action of Christ through the lives of his people. Jesus has exchanged wealth. The wealth of being God. For the poverty of being a human being. Jesus took on flesh. We don't force you to give. And when I say give, I don't just mean your money. Look, I don't know anything about your money. I tell the elders, don't tell me about anybody's money. I don't want to know anything. If you try to hand me money after the service, I'll run away from you like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. I don't want anything to do with taking something from you. We don't, take, we don't force anyone to give of any of these things. If you're forcing people to do something, that's not a church, that's a cult. But like Paul, I believe that we should push those of us who are the people of God to consider how our lives are being leveraged for the good, gracious glory of God. Cornelius Platinga, when he was summarizing what Augustine says in the city of God, said our core problem is that the human heart, ignoring God, turns in on itself, tries to lift itself, wants to please itself, and ends up debasing itself. We will always want to turn toward ourselves. That's why God's called us to turn toward him. Turning to, toward me has me in a mess that I cannot fix. Paul goes on to say, Now also finishing the task so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So, so Paul uses this passage to say, this isn't even about your ability to give in a way that says that you are giving more than others. This is not you making a top five giver list. It's different than that. It's us evaluating our hearts and the way that we posture our hearts and our things and our stuff and our time for God's, with God's glory in mind. 
Jesus alludes to it in Mark chapter 12. He, he, he's sitting across from the temple treasury. He watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. Then a poor widow came and she dropped in two tiny coins that were worth very little. We wouldn't even notice her putting the coins in. We're so busy, caught up in seeing who else was putting in what. Jesus summons his disciples, calls them close to him, and he said to them, this is the way it is. I tell you, this poor widow has put more into this treasury than all the others. For they all gave out of their surplus, but she is out of her poverty. She's put in everything she had. There are so many members of our church, and I just want you to hear me. As one of the elders, as the teaching pastor here, we are grateful that you give of your life for the sake of Jesus being made known. And never look at what you offer up to this church as less than because God, He owns everything anyway. He's not waiting to pay off His bills when a check comes in. But he is concerned about the quality of our giving because he's concerned about the, stat the status of our hearts. What is the fix and focus of our hearts? He's concerned with the quality, not the quantity. So I've shared with you guys over the years, my, my grandmother was a super influential person in my life. She, she raised me. I moved in with her when I was 16 years old. I never taught her to play video games. Other than that, we had a really good relationship. She fried a lot of stuff, which is problematic. But she worked and worked and worked. She, she worked at a saddle shop making saddles. And when she finished her job there, she took a job at Target stocking shelves. She, she never made more than $24,000 a year. I was kind of in charge. I'm not in charge of anything. They don't put me in charge of things like that. But I was around for these conversations as to what this lady gave. She gave to church. She always gave to our church. Not just her, her financial resources. She gave of her time. She was taking meals to people. She was checking on... She would call little ladies. Her best friend, they did this Bible study together because my grandmother couldn't hear and her best friend couldn't see. So my grandmother would read the Bible aloud to her. Very loud because she could not hear. Investment. Thinking about God's kingdom being God's person. Someone who belongs to Him. The grace of God in action. The grace of God on display. So back to the idea of naming our church. Our church is named Grace. It's everywhere around this building. It's on the front now. In that paint job that you just see outside. It's there. And we, early on, we worked through the acronym of what that would even be. Like, that we looked at these various words. That we would be a people because of the great because of knowing who Jesus is. We want to be we want to be generous. We want to invest in relationships. We want to be authentic. We want to be confident that the gospel changes lives, and we want to do things that we do with excellence. So that's what it means. But also, even more than that, how can people, when we consider us as Grace Bible, how are we leveraging our lives and our time 
in a way that people would see the grace of God through the grace that gathers here. So we make commitments. And if you're a member here, you, you've made these commitments. And if, you've not, if you're not a member here, these are the things that will happen. If you say, hey, Chad, or hey, Jared, or hey, whomever, we want to uh, be a member of Grace Bible, we're going to sit down with you and we're going to talk about the grace of God. That thing earlier that God would offer you death in the place of life. You're going to have that conversation. And when you trust that God has done that for you in Jesus, when you believe that, when that's something that you can acknowledge and it resonates with your soul... We're going to call you to some membership commitments. But it's even more than commitment. It's covenant. That by God's grace, we're going to work together as a believing body. And we're going to, we're going to hope and pray that these things take place. We're going to push you to seek to maintain a close relationship with our Lord through regular personal Bible reading, through prayer, through fellowship, and practice of other spiritual disciplines. We want that for you. Do you think that we push you to be part of life groups and part of discipleship groups because we like to be told no? No. We believe that the scriptures teach us that we should be pushing one another towards these type of relationships. We're going to encourage you to remember that we use our financial resources and spiritual gifts that God has given us for the building up of the church, both here and the universal church. All people who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. We, we are bound together. We're not just here in the micro. There's something bigger. We're bound together by Christ's death and His resurrection. That we as a believing people would practice the humility and sacrificial attitude of Christ by meeting the needs of others, both inside and outside of grace. Here's a hard one. That we would follow the biblical procedures of church discipline. And submit ourselves to discipline if the need should ever arise. But not discipline for discipline's sake. Because discipline for discipline's sake is dumb. It's discipline for the restoration of relationship's sake. We want, us to, we want to be a believing people who are walking in relationship with one another. And with a God who loves us and cares for us. That we would submit to the authority of the Scriptures as the final arbiter on all issues. If you are wondering what arbiter means, that's, a, that's okay because I wanted it too and had to Google it. It means that God, in His Word, they get the final say. They get the final say. They get the final say when there are things that we align with naturally and when there are things that, that are really hard for us to hear. God gets the final say. Finally, and this is kind of an umbrella over all of them that we summarize it with, do our part to fulfill the purpose of Grace Bible to show our neighbors and nations that we believe that Jesus Christ is better than everything. Some of you have said, what's that mean? Better than what? Yes. He's better than that. So we'll make sure that we worship God and we're going to make sure that we equip one another for ministry and that we share our faith with lost people. That's what it means to be part of this grace. To be part of this grace that we hope is putting grace on display each and every day. So if you're a member and you've never heard that stuff before, we, I mean, we can get you a form or whatever. It's on the website. If you're not a member here, we want you to be.
We'd love to have that conversation with you. If this is the place you think you should be, if you don't think you should be here, ask me for the churches you should go to. I'll tell you the good ones. I'll tell you the whack jobs. We love you. And we believe that God has called us to something here. So let's do that together. Because we're not called to do this part. Community, every letter in the New Testament is written to a church. For us to think that we can just live it out like it's just you and Jesus, that's on the verge of sinful. Because you're called to a collection of people. A body. I want to pray for us. And I'm in the back right hand corner if you need me. I'd love to pray with you. Our elders would love to, if you need one of them, if you think one of them is better looking than for some reason, just grab me. I'll take you to an elder. We love you and we believe that God is doing good things here. We want to continue to trust that He will not stop doing those things. Father, we trust you this morning. Lord, we trust you that you lift people from death to life. And God, even now, I would pray that you would lift some in here from death to life. Save lost people. If we don't care about lost people being saved, then that's bad. Lord, I pray for those who are believers. And Lord, I pray that if they needed to here this morning, that they are called to remember the grace of God. I pray that if they got nothing else out of this, that they will run toward the grace of God that you've shown us. Lifting us from death to life. Lord, I pray that we will trust that Scripture has the final say, that we will trust that your word is good and proper and true. Father, I pray that we'll use our time, we'll believe in the importance of God-honoring good news relationships. We ask all this in your name, Christ.